Amy, on this podcast, we try to always offer useful takeaways. And if you learn nothing else from us, learn this useful parenting lesson by Pampers Cruisers 360. Pampers Cruisers 360 are the ultimate parent hack, the best diaper to use as soon as your baby starts standing or walking. Instead of ordinary diaper tabs, they have a unique 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your wild child. Pampers Cruisers 360 makes it so easy to change your baby. Who probably doesn't stop moving just because they need a diaper changed? Just slide on to apply and away they go. And fear not, parents. Pampers Cruisers 360 offers an up to 100% leak-free fit, and they just got even better with a new blowout barrier. Need we say more? For Trusted Protection Trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupons, savings, and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Hello and welcome to Fresh Take from What Fresh Hell, laughing in the face of motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And today we're talking to Kate Swenson. She is a mom to four kids, a wife, and a proud Minnesotan. She regularly writes and creates videos about her life as a mother and an autism advocate for her website, Finding Cooper's Voice, on Instagram and on Facebook, where her videos have had millions of views. Her book, Forever Boy, A Mother's Memoir of Autism and Finding Joy, is out now. Kate is also the founder of the non Nonprofit The More Than Project, which supports the needs of special needs families that go beyond the needs of their special needs child. Welcome, Kate. Hi, thanks for having me. I was telling Kate before we started, I'm such a fan of Finding Cooper's Voice. Tell us before we start, your four kids, how old? So Cooper's 11, Sawyer is 9, Harbor is 3, and Winnie just turned 1 yesterday. Finding Cooper's Voice, it's about your entire family, but it started as a way to chronicle the journey of your son, Cooper. So tell us a little bit about him. Yeah, so Cooper, he's 11 now. I started the blog Finding Cooper's Voice on WordPress. It feels like a million years ago now, but I started before he was diagnosed because I was seeing things and feeling things and had no one to talk to about. Doctors weren't taking me seriously about his developmental delays. My husband wasn't quite where I needed him to be. My mom was like, it's okay. So I started writing and it was one of the best things I ever did because I was able to put all my feelings out into the universe. And I highly recommend doing that. And we went on to get a diagnosis of autism for Cooper. And then things got hard, went through some hard years with his development. And really, as we settled into his diagnosis, now he's a happy, thriving fifth grader. He's going to be a sixth grader next year, which blows my mind. It is very, very terrifying. But he's Is that middle school for you? It is. And it's big. It's a big school. But he walked in like a boss. Like he was like, hey, hi, hello. (laughs) (laughs) I got this. Yeah. So he's doing good. But it takes a lot of years, I think. It takes some years to figure out this parenting stuff. And even now, it throws me for a loop every now and again. Yes. And I mean, I think that's an interesting point that we talk to moms dealing with all sorts of different issues and coming from different perspectives, figuring out who your kid is and what your role is in supporting them is something that we all go through. I also have a kid who's on the spectrum and it's not that different than dealing with all the other confusing things about being a parent that I didn't see coming. Is that your perspective? Well, I think that all of our children, yes, can throw us for a loop. And mine are like, high five, tag, you're it. Like, that's what mine do. It's rarely that they all 
come down on me one time. But I'm finding the emotional side of a nine-year-old boy to be really confusing. Mm. My three-year-old is feral. He is wild. And mm-hmm. I find myself saying no a lot. And I don't want to break his spirit, which I never thought that I would have to worry about that. But I'm like, he's going to run the world, but he's going to break me first. Right. <laughs> so I feel confused a lot of the times. And now that we, you know, we've settled into autism, autism is my easiest part sometimes, which I, you know, I want to say that gently, but I feel like I can predict what's going to happen. But with the emotional Hulk side of a nine-year-old, I'm like, whoa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Whoa. So let's go back to the beginning of Cooper's story, because you say that people always ask you this. So let's start here. When did you first suspect that something maybe was different about Cooper? Mm-hmm. So I wrote this in the book, and this was actually just challenged the other day for the first time in my writing. I hadn't had this happen, where I say... I did not know what autism was or the word when he was born. But when I looked down at him, I could tell right away that something was going on Mm. and going on to have three more children. I can triple confirm that Cooper had a pretty traumatic birth, wasn't breathing, but came to, you know, pepped up. Apgar scores were okay after a little bit. And I looked down at him and he was wide awake and he was almost like he was a big baby and he was like trying to like get out of there. He's like, I got to (laughs) go. Like I don't have time for this. (laughs) Yep. No time for this nursing stuff. No time for any of that. And right away from the beginning, it was very challenging. He struggled to sleep, struggled to eat. He slept six hours in a 24 hour period as a newborn. And my little one slept 23. Right. So I mean, just to kind of provide some context and I would call my mom, I would call, you know, the nurse online, I'd be like, something's wrong. He doesn't sleep. And they're like, yes, he does. Lots of babies don't sleep. Right. Babies cry, mom. Right. And send you home. Yes. Yes. And I was really, you know, I brought up concerns right away. And We had really sweet doctors, but I just don't think they were ready to diagnose. I mean, obviously you can't diagnose autism that early, but I mean, something really was going on and I was seeing it early. You said recently in a blog post you wrote, not in the book, but I thought this was interesting that for Cooper, at least early on in his development, before all of these interventions and all of this growth that his hard work and your hard work have brought out, that everything was a no for him. Can you explain a little bit about that and how that sort of manifested? Yes. And that was, to be honest, the most challenging part. So when I say everything was a no, everything was a no. Going outside, putting on shoes, Trying a different cookie than he normally would eat. Look the same, but different. Stacking the blocks, feeding a baby doll. I have, you know, really now funny stories of like giving him like play food, like, you know, like play eggs or different things. And he would like look at it and like just toss it. Like I was like, just pretend it, you know, give it to mommy, drink the tea. And it made having him evaluated for anything really hard because we didn't know if he couldn't do it or wouldn't do it. Right. Even today, it's like... I think he knows that, but he's not going to perform for you. Mm-hmm. Like, he's not going to do that. Right. So what that's called is rigidity. And it's in, he was incredibly rigid. But again, we didn't know the word then. And it was almost as if we couldn't get any help because he wouldn't do anything to get the help. Mm. He wouldn't do, perform the test so they could tell if it, where he fell on the testing spectrum because he wouldn't do the test. Yep. Wow. And I used to say, I have the only kid that therapy doesn't work for. We would go to speech therapy, occupational therapy. And for anyone that knows occupational therapy, imagine like the funnest room with like jungle gyms and swings and bright colors. I mean, it's just any kid's dream. And we'd walk in there and he'd be like, that's a no for me. (laughs) And he would like 
stand at the door. And I mean, it was just therapy never seemed to work for a lot of years. And that was hard too. Uh, one of the points that you make that really resonated with me, and I think it's really interesting, is you say you would try to determine which parts were your little boy and which parts were autism, as if there's a real kid and then there's autism, and that merging those in your mind and understanding that autism and your kid are wrapped together. They are one in the same. Autism is complicated because it feels like a diagnosis, but it's not like cancer. We got to get rid of this in order for the real kid to survive. Yes. It's a part of the real kid and those things are married to each other. And I think that's a journey that most parents who have children with autism go through. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yep. So in the beginning, it felt like autism was given to him by a doctor. Mm -hmm. Like, and that is in no way true, but it felt like we walked in there as happy people. And we walked out with this diagnosis tattooed on his forehead. And it's like, nope, I want to give that back now. Like, I don't want that anymore. And I have the cover of my book is this beautiful photo and it's me holding Cooper. And yes, I write in chapter five how autism was always there. It was woven into him, just like the sunlight between us. And it took me a lot of years to realize that. And I actually recently met with a self-autistic advocate. He's in his 40s. He was diagnosed later in life. And he told me this story about how when he was diagnosed, he felt like his autism was like a suitcase. And he would carry it around and he'd be like, okay, I'm going to set this down now and I'm going to go to work. And I'm going to come home and I'm going to pick it up and be my autistic self again. And then I'm going to go to work and I'm going to sit down. And that was just so eye-opening for me because it doesn't work like that. Cooper is exactly who he's supposed to be. There aren't different parts, but parents do feel that way. And I think it's really important as us who, me, once I, you know, we've made it through that we help parents see that and really embrace all the parts and not just certain parts. You say in the book, Cooper was exactly who he was supposed to be. The person who needed to change was me. Tell us how you felt like you needed to change. I was missing Cooper's life. And again, a lot of parents go through this. You know, our life was therapy and aggressions and self-injuring. And Cooper's behaviors got really, really hard, meaning our doors were locked. We couldn't have lights on. We had to eat with headlamps. We couldn't have lamps on tables because he would break them. He put everything in our bathtub. He lined up chairs. I can go on and on. I can smile about it now, but there was no smiling, mm -hmm. you know, six, seven years ago. But I was missing his life thinking, let's get ahead of this. Let's find the, the magic thing that's going to help him. Let's get... And I was missing the day-to-day -day beauty of him lining up 10 chairs and standing in front of them and conducting them like an orchestra. I was missing him, you know, laying on the ground and looking at the clouds and seeing things that I couldn't see. And once I hit my lowest point, which was online and not my finest moment. And I don't regret it because it helped me heal. It got me where I am today and to a place of acceptance and joy. I want to follow up on that. We're talking to Kate Swenson of Finding Cooper's Voice, and we will be right back. Margaret, exciting news. I am about to have a new baby nephew. And believe it or not, this will be my 13th Nephew. Amy, you're ready to give up your amateur status. You're a pro aunt at this <laughs> yes. point. Our family has seen a lot of babies. And as soon as they start standing or walking, 
I send them all a whole lot of Pampers Cruisers 360. Pampers Cruisers 360 don't have ordinary diaper tabs. Instead, they have a unique 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your newly mobile little one. Pampers Cruisers 360 offer a gap-free fit that is up to 100% leak-proof, crucial once your baby is quite literally up and at them. And that gap-free fit helps prevent your baby from taking off their diaper, a habit you do not want them to get into. You can say that again. And Pampers Cruisers 360 just got even better with a new blowout barrier. Need we even elaborate on the need for that, friends? For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Margaret, when you've got kids, as just about everybody listening to this right now does, you're probably looking at what they eat and seriously wondering how they could possibly be getting all of the vitamins and minerals they need to grow big and strong. That's why Haya was created, the pediatrician-approved, super-powered, chewable vitamin for kids. Haya fills the most common gaps in modern children's diets to provide the full-body nourishment our kids need. And yes, even your picky eaters will approve. I know mine does. Formulated with the help of nutritional experts, Haya is pressed with a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables. Then it's supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals to help support our kids' growing brains and bodies. And Haya vitamins are sent straight to your door, which means you set it and forget it and give yourself one less thing to worry about. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. Receive 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, you must go to HayaHealth.com slash fresh. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H-HayaHealth.com slash fresh to get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. I don't know how many people who are outside of autism understand the kind of, there is a push-pull with autism between parents who are trying to advocate for their kids and a lot of people with autism as adults who are advocating for themselves. They want their identity and their autistic identity to be accepted and celebrated. And the idea of like, this is not something to be cured. This is something about who we are. But like any parent raising any kids, whether your kid is autistic or neurotypical, there are always behaviors that you think this behavior is not safe for my kid. This behavior is not safe for my other kids or my family. Finding solutions for behaviors without denying the autistic self. Like, how do you find that balance? Yeah, that's a really good point. So some of Cooper's unsafe behaviors, he would run into roads towards cars purposely. He would see a car and he would run towards it. And it was terrifying. We had some really scary things happen. He would take picture frames off the wall because he wanted the pictures and he would break the glass with his foot. I mean, really terrifying things that we just, we can't have that. We can't have hitting. We can't have dangerous stuff. So we had to turn our whole focus when he was six years old to safety. I mean, that was our whole every day was safety. I have some rules, actually. We have rules in our home and it's like, we'll never discipline Cooper for being autistic. Actually, I'm asked about discipline all the time because someone will see him doing something and be like, wow, 
he's just being naughty. No, he's sitting on the floor of Target because it's really loud and it's really bright and it's really peopley and it's smelly. And he, we're going to give him some time to rest. So we have rules. You know, we never discipline Cooper for being autistic. We let him stim. We want him to stim. Stimming is when it's like a self-soothing behavior that autistic individuals do. But we can't have stimming that hurts property. We can't have stimming that hurts himself or hurts others. So if we see that, we really work to help him find something else. Like an example, he'll listen to a clip of baby George from Peppa Pig crying over and over again when he's sad until he gets to the point where he hurts himself even more. We can't have that. We have to figure out why are you sad, pal? Like, what can we do? So I think as parents, we really have to look at, you know, that autistic individual, Cooper, as the person, and how can we help you get through what's going on and let you live and grow just as you are. I want to ask about Cooper's relationship with his siblings and how you accommodate the special needs of a special needs child with three neurotypical kids who are all featured regularly on your videos. Like I said, I'm a big fan. We also haven't talked about how Cooper is nonverbal and uses a a device, an assistive device to communicate and how your three kids have grown up around that and accommodate that and make room for that. I feel like I was a second time mom again recently because I have now an 11 and nine year old Cooper and Sawyer, and then a three and a one-year-old. So there's a big gap in between there. Yeah. <laughs> Large gap. And my first two grew up side by side. And it was hard. A lot of my book is about the sibling relationship. When the book came in the mail for the first time, my son Sawyer's like, mom, it's a book about Cooper. And I was like, actually, it's a book about you too. Yeah. And he was like, what? <laughs> because, you know, I say Sawyer saved me. Sawyer kept me in the land of he needed me. He needed me for t-ball and he needed me for different things. He needed me to play. He kept me solely in this land. And that was, I'm so thankful for him for that. He helps Cooper every day. The beginning was hard. It was challenging. Um, They didn't understand each other. Cooper mostly ignored him. Sawyer has asked questions. I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, he asked if God was still building Cooper's voice. I mean, that is like a punch to the gut, you know, trying to answer that. But one of the things that we have focused on in our home is talking about autism, exposing Sawyer to people with disabilities, an array of them, and encouraging him to be kind. And that has really paid off. He is a tiny advocate now. Him and Cooper fight like cats and dogs, as they should. They're brothers. But he is a really good brother. The younger two don't know any different. I mean, they think Cooper is exactly who he's supposed to be, just like I always say. They're learning some sign language. They're learning to talk to him that way. But they just climb all over him. They take his stuff. They be naughty with him. It's different than the the older two, I think, because, you know, Cooper's really established in himself now. Mm-hmm. Oh, that makes sense. And your household is established in accommodating what he needs and having rules. And it's amazing yeah. to see. And the best thing we ever did was have four kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, as my husband might say differently. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best and worst thing any of us ever did, right? It's the best, but it's so good. I mean, Cooper has, he's surrounded by chaos and exposure and they push him all the time and challenge him. And I think it's like, it's just amazing that that's happening. At my kids' school, there are kids who have really mixed abilities. And I think there's something really magical when you see 
you know, somebody go up to a kid and a neurotypical kid might say, oh, actually, this kid uses an iPad to talk. So here, let me show you like how and like the kids don't bring as much heaviness to the situation as we often do as adults. They just kind of, as you said, this is who this person is. They don't bring in a whole thing of like, is it good or bad who this person is? Is it happy or sad who this person is? They just say, this kid talks with an iPad. Let me show you. And there's something really special about that. The best thing about kids, just to reiterate that, is like they will ask questions. They're not afraid. Yes. They will ask, the, you know, parents are like, shh, 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 don't, don't say that. Kids will ask these like curious, adorable, gut-wrenching questions. And I get to, a chance to answer them and really like narrate and dictate how they're going to see it. And then the best part is they go home and tell their parents. Right. That is what's so good. Like when we moved into our old neighborhood, we talked all about Cooper with this group of kids and they went home and like, I'm sure they were like, mom, there's a kid over there that has autism. You know, I mean, that's so great. Yeah. I wanted to talk about one of the most relatable parts of your book, I think. And then it's the experience of being in a very different place from your spouse when you're dealing with a significant situation, let's put it that way, of any sort with your kids, that one spouse goes around the bend with care and worry, and one spouse says, mm, it's probably going to be fine, and both of each thinks the other is handling it the wrong way. And you write about this very openly in your book. Can you talk about that process for you and your spouse? I knew right away that something was going on with Cooper, but I was also, I nannied, I babysat from the beginning. I was, mm -hmm. you know, really around children a lot. And my husband wasn't. I think the first diaper he ever changed was Cooper. You know, Cooper was all he knew. And we both could say, you know, we have a challenging baby, lots of crying, not sleeping, but that was really the extent of it for him. And I had to push and really fight to get seen and heard for you know, to identify his delays. And a lot of times I feel like I was going at it alone. Mm -hmm. And that's a confusing part because I don't want to be right. Mm. Like I don't want him to be autistic. And I feel like I was kind of on this island, like help me help us. My husband was wonderful in the sense that he came to every appointment. I mean, he was right there, but he wasn't there. If that makes sense. Like yeah. he was physically there, but like, his, it's like, you know, I don't think he believed me and he wanted me to be wrong. And eventually I just decided to do it alone. And spoiler alert, my husband and I did get divorced and we spent some time apart, but I saw him every day because he, the kids were at my house. So he came over every single day and we did holidays together and trips together because we were just bizarre people and then ended up getting remarried. And it was a well-needed break. Mm. It's an incredible story. Let's take a break and we'll come back. We're talking to Kate Swenson, the author of Forever Boy. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. 
Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. So we recently had a listener question that was about feeling jealous of other moms who you perceive their path to be easier than your own. And I know this is something you talk about. And so... Again, for whatever reason, a mom is out there looking at other moms and thinking they don't know how hard being a mom really is. How was your path with that feeling? So I am no stranger to jealousy. And I think it's important that we say that Mm -hmm. because so I had a a friend just just recently messaged me who's going through infertility struggles and her good friend is having a baby. And she's like, I'm so jealous, but I shouldn't say that. And I was like, you can say that. You can say that to me. Like life is unfair sometimes. Sometimes it's just hard and it's awful and there's no answers. I mean, I think we know that in the world today and it's okay to say that. And I struggled with jealousy for a long time. Not so much of friends with neurotypical kids, but friends who had autistic children who seemed to keep going on the path of development and Cooper stayed frozen in time. So Mm. I mean, the kids that learn to talk and the kids that may live semi-independently. And I, for a lot of years, it was really hard for me. And even today, it'll sneak up sometimes. Grief is a sneaky, jealousy is a sneaky little friend that just sneaks up. But I think the best thing we can do as moms is acknowledge that, that it's real. But I want to just follow up with, if you're a friend of mine or anyone in my life, celebrate your successes from the rooftops because I want to celebrate with you. It doesn't mean that I'm not so happy for your kids when they're going to get their driver's license and go to prom. I'm going to be there with you, but I may be a little sad, sad too. And we were talking to Taylor Harris, who wrote the book, This Boy We Made, which is a beautiful book about... um, her child who has some complex medical challenges. And she was saying the idea of letting go of this path to college and the thing that everyone seems to be marching towards. And I said, well, you know, when you let go of that, though, it's really freeing. And she said, yes. And she kind of called me out a little bit and said, but I also want you to be able to sit with me in the sadness of that gap. I think sometimes it's presented to us is that if we acknowledge the sadness, we are wishing for different kids or not seeing the woven nature of autism in our kids or whatever it happens to be. And I think you do a good job of capturing both of those things, that there's joy in our reality and there's some sadness for the reality that we thought we were going to be in. And I don't think it's something that you ever fully get over. What I tell parents, new moms, I just did a presentation and a mom, her three-year-old daughter, she was talking about her autism and how challenging it is right now. And that's age three is a hard year. And she's like, when is it going to get better? She's like, I'll cry for days and weeks. And I said, you will get stronger. Your child's going to continue to improve. Things are going to change. They're not going to stay the same forever. But you have to understand that the sadness will sneak back in, but it'll be shorter. 
and it'll sting less. I call them paper cuts. It'll be a little bit lighter. And I still have it happen. I just found myself in line the other day next to a boy, an autistic boy, Cooper's age, who was wearing headphones and able to speak. And he was dishing his own food. And and I cried. I'm not gonna lie. I went to the bathroom and cried. And I haven't had that happen for years. And it just sideswiped me. And I was sad for the night. And then I got up the next morning and I'm like, okay, Let's move forward. Your incredible transparency and the beauty of your spirit and your amazing family. I mean, I understand why your videos are so incredibly successful. Did you know when you started putting your story on social media that you were going to become an advocate? No. (laughs) Do you know what's so funny? So I tell people every day, like, be careful what you put online because you think you're not going to have any followers, but someday you may have a million and no one expects it. I just started, I pulled up my phone and I would just start talking about topics that were relevant in my life. I didn't even share Cooper in the beginning. I just talked about what I was feeling and the sadness and the grief and the happiness and all of that. And I honestly, this is how naive I was. I didn't even know that what I was saying could be wrong. Like, I didn't know that. I mean, I was like, you know, I'm sad that he doesn't care about his backpack for the first day of school or understand. In the beginning, when I would be challenged, I was like, wait, what? I'm sad that he's never said I love you. And people are like, you shouldn't care about that. (laughs) I was like, "What? what? So no, I never had any idea But I think one of the messages I put in the book, I'm pretty sure it's in there, is when you advocate for one, you advocate for all. So please know that you don't need a big blog or write a book or a Facebook page to change the world when it comes to these humans with autism. You just need to start a conversation and just share. I think it sounds so simple, but it's really important. Your platform has sort of dual uses, I feel like. It's for people like me who have learned about autism and nonverbal autism and how that exists within a family structure. I've learned so much about it from watching your videos and consuming your content, reading your book. And then I imagine there's another very important part of your audience, which is other parents on this special needs journey who really look to you for community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how do you sort of talk to both of those audiences at once? That's a really good question. So in the beginning, when I was Googling autism, when I went to Barnes and Noble to find a book on autism, it was all so clinical. Mm-hmm. It was all very black and white, like autism. These are the five signs and these are the treatments. And I was like, I remember I would read about it and I would look at Cooper and I was like, well, that can't be right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like this is like the most sunshiny, sweetest, cutest boy. And you're telling me that I'm going to have aggression and, you know, self-injuring. And I was like, well, that's not right. So... I made the point very early on to either, you know, visually share autism or write about autism in stories and what it feels like and what it sounds like and and looks like and all these different things, because I think that's how a lot of us learn. So I could tell you autism is A, B, C, and D, or I could tell you a story about Cooper going to the beach and, you know, things we had to do and precautions. So I think that resonates with both sides of those of the circle. One of the things that I love is that when people will tell me like, you know, my own mother doesn't understand that her grandson's autistic and I shared your page with her and now she understands. Mm. Like Those are the things that mean so much to me. Wow. And that's a really meaningful lightening of somebody else's load because bringing the family along, it's a process, right? To the diagnosis is something everybody has to have their own process with. Yeah. 
And autism is, I feel, unique in so many ways. There's a famous saying, if you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism because there are so many different variations and people will say, well, this is an autism. I know someone with autism and it looks completely different. And the other thing I think that happens, especially with autism in boys, is a lot of this behavior in the beginning is all boys do that. Oh, yes. All kids have that. And so it can be difficult. Oh, he'll grow out of it. My kid was just like that as a kid. You don't tell somebody, my child has type 1 diabetes. And they're like, are you sure? Because a lot of people don't, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) There's a whole chapter that is convincing other people that this is real. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have a story in the book about a mom I met who was 40 weeks pregnant or 38 weeks pregnant and was told that her son would either die or have Down syndrome. And so, you know, they obviously prayed for Down syndrome because they wanted this beautiful baby. And when he was born, they immediately had a welcome team in there. They were given a gift basket. They were welcomed into this community. And it was this really beautiful process. And with autism, it's not like that. It is years of, is he or is she? There's no blood test. There's you know, different diagnostic. There's so many different things. And I wonder, you know, would it be different if you found out earlier? What if you were told a yes or no? I mean, I call it the in-between space. We live there forever. Right. And that's a really hard place to live. Right. And a spectrum that includes, you know, Einstein and a kid who has no ability to do any self-care. It's a very wide spectrum. And so to have this single word that somehow defines all of this different stuff. It takes a long time to just find out where you are, which is challenging. It took me five years to really, you know, walk proudly into, I call it, it's the land of acceptance. That's what Mm -hmm. it was for me, cheesy or not. It was like, I had to get there. And of course, Cooper was there waiting like, hey, hey lady, thanks for joining me. And I was like, hi, you know, (laughs) and in every member of your family gets there at a different time. That's important to know too. Like I'll never be a sibling of a child with autism. I'll never, I don't know what that's like for Sawyer or what that's like for grandma. I think we have to give people time to figure this stuff out. This is heavy and and it can be really hard. Tell us about your work with the More Than Foundation. (gasps) So my friend and I founded a nonprofit during COVID as many do. I wrote a book, had a baby and did a nonprofit. It was a very busy time. (laughs) Did you make sourdough? Yeah, that's what we all did during the pandemic. Yeah, nonprofit, baby in a book. Sure. (laughs) I did not get a puppy. So I didn't do that come full circle. But my friend Amanda and I were past that super hard, grievy, worrisome, scared part. We are really confident in where we are and what we want to do. And during COVID, I had all these moms that reached out to me and they were like, I can't do this. We've lost services. We're scared. We're worried. We're alone. So what we did was we raised money to provide free mental health counseling to parents of children with autism via Zoom. And we were able to do it because there was during COVID, counseling agencies could provide counseling anywhere in the U.S., this changed when COVID ended. We didn't know that. But so we were providing counseling all over. Moms were getting the help they needed. They didn't have to leave their house. They were meeting them where they were at. It was perfect. And we wanted to keep going. So we founded the nonprofit. And then next, we did a sibling scholarship where we raised money to honor three siblings and give them something super fun. Whatever they wanted, they could have. It was like a, you know, a fun day for them. Now we're doing, we're honoring teachers. We're going to put some sensory classroom or sensory friendly corners in classrooms. We're going to do that. So basically we're trying to honor the folks that help our kids and the ones that surround our families and give them, just give back and honor them. And it's been so fun. It's really been filling my cup up. 
We've been talking to Kate Swenson. She is the author of the new book, Forever Boy, A Mother's Memoir of Autism and Finding Joy, and also the founder of the website, Finding Cooper's Voice. Kate, just tell us where we can find everything that you do on the internet. Yeah. So go to my website, findingcoopersvoice.com. There's blogs. You can see about having me as a speaker, about learn about my foundation. My book, Forever Boy, is on Amazon and bookstores and Barnes & Noble, all that fun stuff. And then my Facebook page is really where you can get to know us better and join the community and get involved. And we will link to all of those places so you can find them easily in our show notes. Kate, thanks so much for talking to us today. Thanks. Thanks, Kate. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact invented. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talk to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking It.